have to stop seeing climate as something that's negative. If we don't take action, we already know what it's going to be like. And I talk to First Nations. They're seeing the impacts. It's everything from floods in communities to droughts to forest fires. All of these are huge impacts. But the opportunity is huge to have cleaner air, cleaner water, value what is important in life, and also economic opportunity and jobs. That's Catherine McKenna, the Federal Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. She's our guest today on the Akamema Podcast. Danse, Tawau, and welcome to the Akamema Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. So on this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And this week, a new federal budget was delivered here in Ottawa, and it includes plans to invest $18 billion in Indigenous priorities. And those investments are definitely needed. We know according to the United Nations Human Development Index, Canada ranks 12th in the world, while First Nations off-reserve are 42, but on-reserve there's 78. So it's 12 versus 78, and that's according to the 2016 figures. Now, who better to talk about how to bridge that infrastructure gap than the Honourable Catherine McKenna? She's Canada's Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. She's also the former Federal Environment Minister and the current Member of Parliament for Ottawa Centre. So it's very fitting that she joins us, especially today on Earth Day. So a great big welcome, Minister McKenna, to the Akamemuk Podcast. Uh, Well, thank you very much, National Chief. I'm delighted to be here, virtually, of course. But uh, anyway, a big hi to everyone listening. Okay. So 2021, the budget came down and there was good investments and a lot of fronts for First Nations people and for all the people of Canada. But in terms of the infrastructure investments for First Nations communities, can you explain a little bit what's in there from your perspective as a minister? Well, I was really happy to see that we are focused on tackling the infrastructure gap in uh, First Nation communities. You and I have spoken about this many times. We've made, uh, you know, historic investments, but there's still a huge gap. Um, and uh, that's, of course, uh, clean water, but it's also housing and everything, you know, else like clean energy or community centers, cultural centers. Um, so the budget, well, first of all, the budget had $18 billion for Indigenous priorities overall. Um, I think that's really important. And that those are priorities that we've been focused on getting folks through the pandemic. Um, childcare, huge priority, and there's going to be a distinctions-based approach to childcare. But of that, six, $6 billion is directly for uh, to support infrastructure in Indigenous communities. And if you break that up, um, this is uh, $4.3 billion um, that would support shovel-ready infrastructure projects uh, in First Nations uh, communities, as well as $1.7 billion to cover the operations and maintenance costs. And I think we can't forget that, maybe a little bit less exciting, but critically important that we're also focused on these operations and maintenance costs. You can build infrastructure, but you have to be able to maintain it. That's it. So everything from dealing with the water crises to the housing, community centers, recreation centers, O&M, and uh, what about broadband, high-speed oh, internet? I should have talked about broadband, of course. So we have made a commitment uh, to getting everyone broadband. And I think that, that the pandemic has made this absolutely clear what folks who don't have access to, to high-speed broadband, many people living in, uh, well, many First Nations would not have uh, good access to broadband, what they've already always known. 
that this mm-hmm. is an equity issue as much as a productivity issue. This is about whether, you know, now you can get your kids schooled, um, whether you can access uh, healthcare, um, whether you can run your business. I know there's lots of uh, amazing um, craftspeople in First Nations communities who I can see their stuff uh, on different uh, websites and, and buy awesome things, but we need to make sure we're doing that. So we've made massive announcements, uh, investments in broadband before, but also that is the focus of the budget. We need to get everyone access to high-speed broadband. That's a huge commitment of ours, and we need to do it as fast as possible. Yeah, that's an important piece. Telehealth, you know, education, economic development, it affects everything. So I'm happy as National Chief to see that commitment. Like we have 634 First Nations. Some don't have access to that broadband at all. So especially in the far north. So I'm really pleased to see that happening going forward. Now, you mentioned the 4.3 billion. That's an amount for Indigenous community infrastructure shovel ready projects. That's over four years. And the 1.7 billion was over five years. That's for O&M on reserve. Just wanted to be clear so our listeners know that. And everything, water, housing, community centers, broadband is great. Now, let's switch a little bit to uh, economic development. You know, and I've always talked about, you can't talk about self-government, self-determination without talking about economic self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things and some of the, the challenges for First Nations people was always um, uh, lack of access to capital. And then, of course, the bonding issue and, and then training, capacity, procurement, all those things come into play. But there's um, uh, an exciting announcement uh, in terms of the infrastructure bank, you know, targeting, uh, I believe it's about a billion dollars for First Nations uh, economic development initiatives and investments. Can you explain, talk a little bit about that? So the Canada Infrastructure Bank is another tool that we have to get investments in infrastructure. These are for generally larger projects. Uh, although what I noticed with the, the Infrastructure Bank is that they are doing some projects directly uh, with First Nations communities. There's a, a really amazing project if folks don't know about it. It's the Oneida Battery Storage Project. Um, which uh, is really an awesome project. It's going to be one of the largest battery storage projects. And that's with the Six Nations of the Grand River. Um, And this is a really entrepreneurial First Nations community, but I've said this to everyone, um, and you know this, that First Nations communities want to be equity partners in projects. They, It's not just, you know, you get a handout. This is actually true partnerships. And so I think it's uh, really critically important. So I said to the Canada Infrastructure Bank, I set out the priorities. The bank is under my uh, portfolio. I said a billion dollars needs to be invested in partnership with Indigenous peoples for the benefit of Indigenous peoples. And uh, and I think that there's a lot of uh, excitement uh, around that. And they're looking, though, at also being more innovative um, for smaller projects. So they've got a new Indigenous uh, community infrastructure initiative um, that that will uh, be uh, provide loans of at least five million dollars for up to 80 percent of the total project capital costs um, that that's going to be really great for indigenous communities so if um, folks are interested in that uh, I think that they uh, should reach out um, the Canada Infrastructure Bank they have information on their website because I think this is a, a honestly a uh, a huge opportunity and you know what's great I'm um, on the, the the board of the Canada Infrastructure Bank we have Kim Baird many people would know those she was a former chief of the Tawasan First Nation she's amazing and I think that this is really about also mm-hmm. making sure that we have uh, First Nations representatives that are in the highest roles they can also help educate folks because I've realized 
um, that it's really sometimes there's just a lack of understanding of perspectives of opportunities um, uh, that you know that exists with First Nations communities. It's been a priority of mine uh, from the start. As you as you know, National Chief, we started this adventure when I was in politics. Actually, at the Paris Agreement, we were in Paris. Um, and my, I was always focused yeah. on how do we have true partnerships? We managed to get um, recognition of indigenous rights, um, of additional uh, indigenous traditional knowledge. And I think that's really what we need to be doing. If we are going to advance as a country, that's to the benefit of First Nations. But as I tell everyone, that's the benefit of every Canadian. It, we need to be working in partnership. We need to tackle the infrastructure deficit. We need to make sure that, as you say, that every First Nations, uh, every member of a First Nations community, every child, adult has access to the same services and is able to succeed in the same way. And so that's certainly been my commitment. And I, I'm really excited about all these opportunities to work together. No, that's a, that's a powerful statement for sure. And I was really uh, pleased and proud in 2015 in, in Paris when all the countries uh, agreed to the Paris Climate Accord. And uh, again, on Earth Day, pleased to see that there's new targets for uh, lowering the emissions reduction targets from 40 to 40 to 45 percent you know that's great and that's like you know i tell people like targets are great action is even more important and if you think what we've done and and thank you very much to your support like we've been able the our climate plan was a partnership with first nations as much as it was with provinces and territories in fact in some ways you were some provinces and territories were a little trickier uh you were uh always challenging challenging challenging. I mean, I guess maybe they're coming around, but putting a price on pollution so it's not free to pollute, phasing out coal, making sure we're getting uh, remote um, communities off diesel, um, making sure we're making these investments in, in green infrastructure, in clean infrastructure. All of these things really, really matter because you can't just have a target because people have had targets yeah. in the past in our country. I'm focused on, okay, how do we implement it? But also, how do we make it an opportunity? We have to stop seeing climate as something that's negative. It is negative. If we don't take action, we already know what it's going to be like. And I talked to First Nations. I mean, they're seeing the impacts. It's everything from floods in communities to droughts to forest fires. Yep. Um, you know, if you're in, a, in the north, thawing permafrost, all of these are huge impacts. But the opportunity is huge to have cleaner air, cleaner water, value what is important in life, and also economic opportunity and jobs. Well, there is no planet B. That's the old saying, right? There's planet A, and uh, we have to leave something for our children and grandchildren. So we got to keep doing all we can to keep working towards that clean, green energy and transition, our dependency on fossil fuels. And even with the billion dollars now back up to the infrastructure bank and having a billion dollars set aside for access to capital and totally agree with the statement about equity ownership. You know, like we're moving beyond the old IBAs, impact benefit agreements, yep. you know, and uh, the, the tokens, you know, from private sector out to First Nations people and all the land's resources are exploited with very little coming back. Equity ownership is starting to be looked at as one of the big keys for economic self-sufficiency to create jobs, good employment opportunities and wealth creation. So that's strong statements. I think of even First Nations across Canada getting involved in 100% uh, uh, ownership and, and uh, in clean green energy projects. I think of uh, Chief Gord Planis at Souk First Nation, 100% solar. I think of... Uh, uh, Wayne, Chief Wayne McQuabby at Henby Inlet in their wind, wind I love farm. that. They're great I, projects. And I think of uh, uh, Gull Bay, uh, Chief Wilfred King, you know, on microgrids. You know, they're saving 300,000 liters of diesel not being burned. And then uh, 
out at Pegwest geothermal projects. So like there's things going on across Canada that people should uh, uh, really be aware of. There are, are already success stories and we need to keep building on that. And uh, that's why I want to bring it back again, the importance and relevancy of having proper, adequate infrastructure for everybody. And in 2016, again, um, there was a commitment to have the gap, the infrastructure gap closed by 2030. What are your thoughts on that? How close are we? What more investments need to, so we, 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 like you say, it's good to have targets, plans and actions and boom it that this is done. How close are we? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, we've still got a ways to go. And I think that you just need to go to communities to, uh, to talk to chiefs, to talk to community members, to understand that. I, I know that folks have been working extremely hard. Take, take uh, clean drinking water. That's a very, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge from a many levels. It's not just about money. Um, and I know Minister Miller has been working extraordinarily hard, but you have to wake up every single day. You need folks to really, you know, make sure you're making the investments, but that you're, tar you're really focused on working with communities. So I think we've made a lot of progress, um, but we still got a lot more work to do together. And that's why these investments are so critically important, because what do I want to see in 2030? I want to I want to see every single community has access to clean drinking water that has proper housing that makes sense. Like if you're hunting, you want your housing to be, you know, represents like, you know, what you need. And I think we need to think mm -hmm. about how we build things and make sure that they're built locally using local contractors and uh, using, you know, with with local employment. Um, we need to make sure every community is off diesel, that we're uh, taking, seizing the opportunity to use renewable energy, um, it, that we've protected more of our nature with First Nations. So I think you can go across the board. I think, though, you know what? Every day I think we're working up, uh, waking up and working in partnership and making these investments so that we can actually get there. Because at the end of the day, infrastructure is a very bureaucratic uh, word that doesn't mean a lot to people. But mm. when you think about what the difference, uh, these investments, when you have better housing, when you have clean drinking water, when you have uh, clean energy, when you have community or cultural centers, this is about the quality of life for people. And it's really about building what you want for the future that, that people expect. And so that's what uh, what we're working on. We have more work to do. Um, but I think the, the opportunity is really to do it together. Good points. And earlier on, I made some comments about the importance of you have a budget bill. This budget bill has still to get voted on and get passed. And, and uh, everybody's hoping that it does pass. So there's no federal government election thrust on everybody across Canada. But there's another important bill as well, the, the fall economic statement, Bill 14. That has to get passed as well, because within that, there is, I think, a $1.5 for water. Yep. And so that's got to be accessed as well. So there's two very important pieces of legislation that should be passed as soon as possible in order to have access. Um, and then as well, we, we uh, you're the minister, uh, I'm the national chief, but there's a very important piece, which is the um, the bureaucracy, all the 30-plus the, uh, federal government departments and all the 30-plus deputy ministers and the appropriate deputy ministers that should be looking at more effective and efficient ways to get these resources out to the First Nations communities. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, look, I think that one of the things I've noticed is that we have to have more First Nations in government. Um, when I came, um, I brought into my ministerial office two amazing uh, young First Nations lawyers. Uh, that was pretty awesome. It made a huge difference to my understanding, but my ability to connect 
um, what we're doing with communities and listen to them. And so I have really pushed this internally that we need um, our bureaucracy to look more like the face of Canada, including uh, representatives from First Nations communities. And, um, I, you know, it is a very different approach. So I have also been focused um, with my department on saying every single time we have a new fund that's focused on, you know, on uh, investing in infrastructure, not only should it be open to First Nations, well, Indigenous peoples more broadly, the whole fund, but we need to set aside money on a distinctions basis. So I think that we we need to bring this in because distinctions basis means something. And I'm not sure everyone properly understands that in government. It means every single decision you make needs to reflect uh, and provide opportunities for First Nations, Métis and Inuit peoples differently. And so I've said this, like, I don't want to ever have to have a discussion about this there is going to be money on a distinctions basis. It's going to be set aside for every program. And we also need to make it easier because I, I think you know this. And if you talk to any community, they're like, oh my gosh, you've got all these different funds and places to go. And mm. it is complicated. Like, you know, you don't want to have to go to one place to, you know, you're, you're building a community center. You get some money for the community center. Then you want to make it energy efficient. Then you got to get money for the energy efficient. Then gosh, like you're seeing the impacts of climate change. So you got to get money for, for a disaster mitigation. So you don't get flooded the community center. And then you got to get a clean energy. So you want to go to another fund that's off diesel. I mean, that's kind of bananas and we got to fix that. <laughs> So, so that's there's got to be more effective and efficient ways of working together between the departments, and, and that that's my point. I'm going to be making because even with Minister Mark Miller, yeah, there's six billion dollars in infrastructure. Yeah, well, okay, there's six billion dollars of infrastructure monies within Minister Mark Miller's department. You're the Minister of Infrastructure, with, and we just talked about the four point three billion and the one point seven billion over five years. So, the need to coordinate, collaborate, communicate, work together, and making it easier for accessing at the community level. Because now we have to sign contribution agreements with Indigenous Service Canada, possibly with infrastructure, possibly with CERNA, possibly with procurement, possibly with like. So that's the whole point. And I think um, at some point, uh, whether it's done through Privy Council office or somewhere, but the need just to find more effective ways um, to get these resources out, I guess is my my. I my could point. not agree more. I'm I'm not into bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. Government is very yeah. important, and we have very good public servants. But we got to make this easier for everyone That's to it. take. And again, just to acknowledge uh, this government, because everything I go back to the throne speech, and uh, and I've told chiefs and chiefs have fallen to duality. Hey. Look at the throne speech. Look at all the priorities. There was a whole chapter dedicated to First Nations Indigenous priorities in 2019 and in 2020 and see the linkages now to the federal budgeting process. That's how it's linked. Throne speech, federal budget. And in there, there was everything from missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls, housing, water, infrastructure, policing as essential service. So that's Bill Blair's office. And uh, uh, infrastructure is your department. ISETs, uh, you know, skills training, language through GIBO. So all these we yeah. say... First Nation money. So there's direct linkages. And so that's, again, back to our point. We both agree that there's got to be very effective process to get these monies out. And I think uh, by working together, we'll find the, the, the right mix for that. Now, I want to, because it's Earth Day, yeah. you know, and uh, the importance and the First Nations teachings and our elders' teachings, you know, that uh, everything, Mother Earth gives everybody everything. She's like our mother and have respect for that and, and embrace her. And, and this whole uh, climate change crisis that people are really embracing now that there is a crisis throughout the world. 
what role does infrastructure play in tackling the climate crisis? And what role do you see as, as Minister of Infrastructure and as government that First Nations playing in this? Well, look, I think infrastructure is critical. Um, it, if you don't build net zero buildings, if you don't you know, move to renewable energy, if we don't uh, make sure that we have clean water, uh, if we don't make uh, investments across the board in, in better, cleaner public transportation um, and uh, electric vehicles, um, if we don't do projects like the Anita Energy Storage Project, where it's the largest battery storage facility in Canada and, and, and even in North America, uh, we're not going to tackle climate change. And think about that. If we don't tackle climate change. Uh, one of the most important messages is, I think, has come from First Nations. It's about se thinking seven generations forward. We won't have seven generations forward if we don't do that. Um, so it is critically important. And it's kind of nice because I had my previous role as Minister of Environment and Climate Change, where a lot of it is, you know, you're fighting for a price on pollution, you're fighting for regulations. But now this is about investing, investing in the future we want. And uh, that makes a huge difference. And it also is very tangible for people. If you get your new energy efficient or net zero community cultural center, if you get uh, your community off diesel where you have cleaner air, you've created some jobs mm -hmm. and uh, it's renewable energy. Um, if you've invested in clean water uh, for folks, that is, is not only good for climate, it's actually good for people. It's good for mm -hmm. the air. It's good for water. It's good for animals. And those are things that I really see the huge opportunity. And so I think my, my, my portfolio in some ways is a good news portfolio, right? It's like investing in tangible things that people really want. And when I talk to chiefs or I talk to members of communities, they're so excited when there's an investment in their community because it's good for their community. Um, the new cultural center that's energy efficient. It's good for, uh, you know, everyone has a place to go now. Um, it is good uh, for jobs. Like these are really important investments. And so uh, I do love this portfolio. It is really a huge opportunity, but, you know, it's a lot of work getting money out the door, mm -hmm. getting things built, supporting First Nations so they know, you know, what are the opportunities. Um, it's a challenge, but uh, it's a really great challenge to have. Yeah, for sure. I know um, in the past, a lot of the programs that were announced, uh, we had to work to make sure that they were accessible as well to First Nations people, because even there was municipal governments could access, provincial governments, federal government, but in some cases, there was an exclusion of First Nations governments at some point, but that's since changed, I believe, right? In the past for the, the old program. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make the statement that any new program that's been announced or whatever, that First Nations people have access to it, whether they be in the community on reserves or even in urban centers, yeah. greater accessibility. That is a hugely important point and something I've been really focused on because it's easy to say that you have access to, to money, but if you have to go through the province and the province maybe isn't focused on First Nations communities, which is unfortunate when I see that, um, or we don't recognize the unique needs, um, or it's so bureaucratic you can't figure out how to access the money. That's just a barrier, and I think we got to blow through those. <laughs> That's my view. Exactly, because I know uh, in the past we've lobbied a lot of chiefs to start developing partnerships with some provincial governments and some provincial ministers of infrastructure, and some were positive. Uh, but let's be real. In a lot of cases, it was challenging, you know, and so there was a lot of resources that could have been accessed that just weren't being accessed. And so we have to be creative in finding ways to to 
make sure that those uh, much needed resources are easily accessed, our barriers taken down so that uh, everybody can really benefit from the, the resources that are put on the table. Yep. Yeah. All right. You know, Minister McKenna, we've talked uh, a lot about uh, the infrastructure investments. We've given some examples of First Nations doing good things across Canada, moving beyond uh, impact benefit agreements to equity ownerships, uh, uh, and especially on Earth Day, the importance and the relevancy of including First Nations people in our worldview and elders' traditional knowledge uh, to protect Mother Earth and all the waters and the lands. A question I always ask people, in spite of all the challenges we have now in Canada and the world, and, and we're dealing with COVID-19, the pandemic, and vaccines are coming, and uh, we see what's happening with racism, discrimination, and the justice system in the States and in Canada and in the healthcare system. Um, in spite of all these challenges, what gives you hope? You know what gives me hope? It's young people. Uh, young people understand this. And uh, you know who's really inspiration? uh, inspirational is Autumn Peltier um, from Manitoulin mm. Island. Just hearing her, you know, saying that we need to be warriors. We need to fight for things that matter. We've got to fight for clean water. And pushing, uh, it's great that they're pushing governments. They're pushing politicians, these young people. They're mm. not going to let us get off with any excuses. And that gives me hope because in politics, it's hard, right? Yeah. And you need you need people to have your back. Or in the case of the young people, we need them leading the way and saying, this is about our future. Um, and we've really seen that. And there are so many young people. I mean, we, you think about Greta, uh, you know, yeah. sitting in front of the Swedish parliament on her own. And now it is a worldwide movement. But so many young First Nations uh kids are out there they're marching they're demanding action they're standing up for clean water clean air climate action that is what gives me hope because they mm. are going to demand it they are going to lead the way and they're going to help us get there because they are the voice uh they're our conscience and uh, yes. I think that is so incredibly important. So to all the young people that are listening uh, to the national chief in our conversation, keep it up. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. It matters that you are demanding more and better action. Do it every single day. You should do that because this is about your future. Um, and you are leaders now. I feel like there's always that you're the, people say you're going to be the future leaders. No, you're the leaders of the future. You're leading us now to a cleaner exactly. future. So um, I think that is every day. I just, you know, when I get a bit demoralized, I think and I look at the young people and what they are doing. And it is awesome. Um, yeah. And First Nations young people, they get it. And uh, I think it's really important. Be out there, yeah. be loud, be loud and demand that is, change. That is hopeful. And uh, we did have Autumn Pelche on the podcast as well. And such a strong young First Nations woman. Uh, she already is a leader. Yeah. And uh, what uh, what really amazes me is how our young people are embracing the teachings of the elders in our ceremonies. Yeah. And uh, how they're walking in both worlds. And that's something that our, our youth are embracing because our elders always talk to us about that, that. They, they would say, you need two systems of education now, grandson or granddaughter. And we used to always question, what do you mean? And they say, well, you got to go to kindergarten or grade 12, you know, literacy, numeracy, math, science, onto university, technical vocational skills, training, you know, the, that yeah. formal education on one hand, but equally important on the other hand are your languages, your ceremonies, 
your traditions, and who you are as an Ojibwe person, or a Mi'kmaq person, or a Dene person, or a Cree person, or a Kosalish person, Haida, yeah. Nishka, and uh, you, we walk in both worlds, and our young people are really embracing that, and uh, the young lady, Autumn Pelche, gets that. And you know, one program that I would uh, just leave folks with, our Indigenous Guardians program, because that's exactly what it does. It brings mm-hmm. together elders with young people to share teachings, to share knowledge, to protect the land. Uh, I was with, uh, I was in uh, Guayanas and I saw, you know, an elder who was working with a, a young Haida uh, as a, through the Indigenous Guardians program. And that's what we need more of. We need elders to mm-hmm. be working with young people to share the teachings, the culture. Um, and uh, I think that is really, actually, it's really beautiful. And we don't do enough of it that um, I, I think just generally um, in, in Canada, but it's great to see First Nations doing that. And that's a real opportunity um, to build on, you know, the, the, the learnings and the teachings, but to also move forward with these young people. So it gives me, all, it, that's what gives me hope. Um, so it's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, really great to see. Well, Minister Catherine McKenna, thanks so much for coming on our Akamema podcast. Well, it is so great, Miigwech, uh, and uh, well, just hi to everyone and keep on fighting for the planet. No planet B. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamema podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Woo!